274. Someone could start number 274. The few moments we have together, I'd like to take up together with you the subject of faith, love, and hope, but growing in that subject, growing in faith, love, and hope, 
and in particular, a day-to-day walking with the gardener in our life. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we do ask that as we open up that word together and as we walk through each day of our life, that we would walk with thee and uh, just enjoy fellowship with thee, with thy presence, and respond to thy work in our life, that there would be more fruit for thyself and glory for thyself as well. We would ask it, Lord Jesus, in thy name, amen. I'm curious, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands as tempted as I am, Um, but you can show a hand in your heart. If when I mentioned the subject of faith, love, and hope, you edited a little bit. Did anyone in here fix that for me and make that faith, hope, and love? (laughs) I'd like to talk with you about those three words, but if you open up your Bibles and you start looking around, and it depends on how generous you are with the range of verses, you're going to start to run across time after time after time in the epistles where, well, faith, love, and hope are referred to, and that's where we'll begin. And yes, faith, hope, and love are referred to in that wonderful verse that we memorized long, long ago in Sunday school, maybe the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. You got to the end and you memorized faith, hope, and love. But there's faith, love, and hope. In fact, if you take the order of those three words and you're the math type, you would go three times two times one to have all the possible orders, and you get six. And those possible different orders, faith, love, and hope, hope, love, and faith, and so on, at least five of the six are in your New Testament. At least five of the six, and I would suspect the six ones there too. In fact, a little while ago, I had a list of five or six of these things. The Lord was laying it on my heart, and I'll touch on that in a little bit. Uh, But the Lord was laying it on my heart because of the need in the garden of my own heart, in the garden of my own home, where some of these things were a little sickly. And there was some need for the Lord, and is need, don't mean to use just the past tense, for the Lord to work in those areas in a practical way. And so that's the burden on my heart this afternoon, that he would work in a practical way. I compiled a little list of five or six of them, and I was reading some ministry, and the brother said in the ministry, there's at least ten, and he gave his list of ten. I thought, oh, good, I'll compare. So I typed them in where I keep my notes, and I lined them up, and my list had now had 12. There's at least 12 places. When our brother Ethan was speaking earlier, I, I don't think that one's on my list. I don't know if you noticed, but he read another one. Uh, now my list has 13, and if you get generous and you spread out, my list includes only a six-verse range where you see those words of faith, love, and hope. But if you get a little more generous, you can find many, many, many more. And I'd like to suggest, or at least use the following analogy as we go through it together, that it's kind of like the Lord uses these things as indicators of growth or decay in our spiritual life. So I'd like to speak of the Lord as the gardener, not in the sense of Mary, not in the sense of creating a paradise here on earth that we want to have now, but in the sense of the one who's at work in our life to produce fruit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God at work in our life. And so when we look at these different characteristics in his word, we're going to find as faith weakens a little bit, 
near it and the verses that are near it, you're going to find a remedy. The fertilizer needed. About this time last year, we were just, we just purchased but hadn't moved into a home to accommodate my parents, and we now live in that home. We moved in shortly after this conference time last year, and it comes with a garden. It's about 1,100 square feet, and I'm not a gardener, but I know that that thing over there is the thistle. This thing right here is the thistle. This thing right here is the thistle. So the extent of my gardening has been pulling up thistles, thousands of thistles. In fact, shortly before coming here, went around the fence into our neighbor's yard with permission and uh, pulled up and mowed down about 600 square feet more of thistles. And you know, maybe in your spiritual life, it seems like that's all that's going on. <laughs> Running around, oops, that, that doesn't belong, pull it up. Or in your home, you're a parent with the children, or you're a child with a sibling, or you're a friend with other friends, and oh, oh, that, uh, that, that needs to go, Oops, that needs to go, and that's what our spiritual life consists of. But I'd like to suggest that we have a tremendous, gentle, gracious gardener who's at work in our life, and yeah, you need to get the thistles out, they don't belong, but he does so much more than that. And that is the burden on my heart to share with you. Now as we go through it, the burden is not even to come close to going through the list that I've been enjoying in the last little while, but rather to give you one other, can I say it, habit, or encourage you in one other habit that is so vital in seeing a flourishing spiritual life. And I'd like to turn first, before we go to faith, love, and hope, I'd like to turn to one verse from Psalm 1. The first Psalm and verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And here's the particular part I'd like to encourage you and myself in and in his law doth he meditate day and night ever looked up that word meditate at least the one that's translated meditate here you know it means to ponder and it also means to mutter and murmur it's the same idea apparently so i'm going to encourage you as we go through and we'll we'll do this together with a few of these examples of faith, love, and hope, we'll mutter and murmur together. But not with complaint, in the sense of pondering. One other thing related to that, and I'd like to connect it in. Uh, I didn't know this until recently, uh, very recently. I looked up how sheep chew the cud. I don't know if anyone here has raised sheep, but the source seemed pretty reliable. And it suggested something to my heart that I've enjoyed since then. I want to pass on to you, and we'll do it together. I understand that a sheep has, I don't know whether you want to say four stomachs or four chambers to a stomach, however you want to put it. And like all herbivores that chew the cud, they're eager to pick up food. And so they'll go around and they'll gather the food quickly and get as much as they can while their opportunity is there. 
then they lie down and ruminate. And when they ruminate, they've got all this poorly digested stuff in their first stomach. And that poorly digested stuff, the, the plants, the leaves, the stems, it's all there, and it's hard to digest. And so it's sitting there in that first stomach, and it gets some enzymes mixed in, gets some acids mixed in, it passes in the next chamber, I guess I'll call it, and mix in some more, um, mix in some bacteria, and then back it comes into the mouth for more grinding. And it goes down again, and it gets more stuff added to it. You know how much of a sheep's life is spent ruminating, apparently? I take it, seemed like a reliable source. I don't present myself as an expert, go get your own information, but I think it is important to chewing the cup. You know how much of a sheep's life is spent ruminating? According to this source, a third of it. One third of its life in this process of grinding through what it gathered quickly. You know what it needs to do that? Apparently, a sheep needs to lie down in green pastures. Well, the green pastures are what it collects. It needs to lie down. It needs quiet. It can't ruminate without quiet. You may not have one-third of your life that you consider quiet. You know this little piece of something that you gather here and it's gone down and it's stored. It's stored somewhere in your mind. It's stored in your notes. It's stored in the margin of your Bible. And it's there. But it's not processed yet. I'd love to encourage you, as it's encouraged me, take that little phrase. And however you do it. I'm not going to dictate a method. I couldn't begin to do that. Your life is different than my life. But however you do it, Bring that phrase back up into your mind and chew on it. Let it break down. Let it go over until you have the nutritional value out of it. It's not just what you ingest, it's what you digest that will do you good. It's not just what you've ingested here at this conference in the last few days that's going to do you any good. It's what you digest and it becomes part of you. And so this process will go through that's kind of a secondary add-on to the burden of my heart. So let's turn to the first verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I just want to share these things with you, not as a person who has any expertise. In fact, in meditating on the last few days, I was extremely humbled. I'll read the verse first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. This is, we're going to look at the healthy plant first. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. This is a healthy plant. It's got the proper balance of faith, hope, and love in it. And we'll look at unhealthy plants, virtually dead plants, healed plants of faith, hope, and love. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. About 10 or so years ago, I wanted to give my wife a, uh, a gift. I can't remember what it was for. I'll say it was Mother's Day. I don't remember. I wanted to give her a gift. So I ran to the um, Goodwill. 
or some resale type shop. And I, I purchased a picture frame. And that picture frame I purchased had place for three little four by six photos. So I wanted the verse, faith, hope, and love. I wanted pictures of our family. So I looked up faith, hope, and love, and I came out with faith, love, and hope. Didn't realize it. Put it together as a little text. Got it? And then we... No, that, wait, that order isn't quite right, is it? I look at the reference. Yeah, well, it's First Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Okay. The little reference in there. Put faith, hope, and love. Put her family photos there. Set it on. Gave it to my wife, and it got set on our dresser. I pulled my socks out of the drawer about eight inches from this thing for about ten years. And I didn't know there were more than those two verses in the Word. A little while back, praying about a need and... Praying about a need, period. Praying about a need and meditating on it, thinking about it, and realizing... I've been... Every single morning for 10 years, about 10 inches from faith, love, and hope, I hadn't chewed on it. The need was right there. It wasn't until this morning that I realized that I'm not going to pass it on. Another little hint. The Lord's been there for 10 years talking to me about these things, and I've been not as Brother Dave shared the other day. I can't remember if I was here with with the young people, but he shared reading with our ears. His dad told him to read with his ears. I've been reading with my ears. We need to read with our teeth, too. And so I'd encourage you to read with your ears and read with your teeth. So let's look at it. Here's three things. Here's the healthy plant. And in a healthy Christian life, these are young believers. They don't know everything, but they're healthy. And as they're healthy, they're growing. And they're growing in what brings fruit to God and notice three things. It says, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Work are those little actions. You can look up the word. Work has to do with the little things, the, those, those actions that faith produces. Faith is a wonderful thing. It finds its object in the Lord. It finds, it feeds on his word. And so when we take God's word, when we accept it as God's word, that's faith. And it has as its object Christ. But the end result is that it sets to work. And these, this faith, these, this word here, work, is actions. Look at the next word. It's just a synonym, right? It says labor. Work, labor, same thing. No, not the same thing. In our culture, it's, it's very, and, and probably throughout the world, I suspect it's in every culture, love is an emotion, love is a feeling, love is something wonderful, who wouldn't want more love? You know, this word labor has in it the sense of pain. Has in it the sense of toil, in fact, in all 12, and I'm not sure about the one that Ethan read earlier because I had a chance to look it up, but in all 12 I had on my list before today, every single one of the loves 
is that agape love, that divine love, it's God's love. You know, every single one of us is, should be, those of us who know the Lord as our Savior, every single one of us can be, should be, shine as, we're light in the Lord. We're spoken of as light in the Lord. Can you find the verse for me that says that we're love in the Lord? Anybody know the reference? It's either before Genesis or it's after Revelation. It's not in the Bible you have in your lap. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. We're light in the Lord. We're made in character and in holiness like him. But as the love, he sets us down in the middle of his love and we share it with him forever. He takes that love and he causes it to flow into us. And I would suggest as if we get that far, if you look at faith and at hope, they bring love into the life, the love of God. And then it's there to be displayed, to, be, to flow out to others. The Lord's love has pain in it. Is there any agony expressed in the Lord's love? Do we have to look beyond our own life to find it? The Lord's love expressed, was expressed as a labor of love. There was toil. There was agony. There was pain there. And then it says, and patience of hope. Um, look back here. Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It gives the object. So patience is an enduring. And I think you'll find with hope, if you look, look for them and trace them out, it's often related to the need for um, patience and continuing. So let's pick up, that's a healthy plant. Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. I don't suppose all of us are ready to raise our hands and say that faith, hope, and love fully flourish in our lives. So let's look at a place where there's a slightly sickly plant and watch it how the wonderful gardener brings about, you might say, healing for that plant. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I'll read the verses, starting with verse 9. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, although we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises I 
Ever had a difficulty in your life? Ever had a difficulty in your life that went on and on and on and on and on? Still going on? You know, sometimes under a trial like that, either faith or hope starts to fade a little bit. Do you notice what happened here? Here are these Hebrew Christians. They're the believers. They'd grown up. Jews, gotten saved, began to follow the Lord. You read the book of Acts? How did their friends, how did their neighbors, how did the people at the synagogue treat them? Go back to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians, you read, read the first half of Acts 17. There's a tremendous amount of rejection that they faced. Experience rejection, and it goes on goes on, goes on. Did you notice the first part of this chapter? We didn't go through it. The apostle warns them about ones that went back. He warned them about the danger of saying, you know, this is just, this is too hard. I'm going back. And they turned around and they went back. Did you notice how he addressed them in that first verse we read? He said, don't, don't go back. Don't you dare go back. Is that what he said to them? Did he say, I, I noticed your faith, is, your faith is flagging. It's getting a little, you've got to boost it up. What did he say? Verse 9, but beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Here's one who's acting, I'll call him an undergardener. And he's here doing the gardener's work. He's coming along, and he sees that this, this faith and this hope, they're flagging a little bit. It doesn't come in and, he say, and say, you Hebrew Christians, you, you, you can't let go of this faith and hope. No, he spends five chapters presenting, and they'll spend a whole lot more presenting the excellency of the object of their faith. You want faith to grow, the object of the faith needs to be put down in front of and ruminated on, chewed on, brought back up into the mind, considered, thought about, needs to go through our minds and hearts. And so he's done it chapter after chapter. And now he begins to address the need and he says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation through though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous. Who's he presenting to them? He's putting God in front of them. He says, God's not going to forget. You've been persecuted by your family. You've been cut off. And now you're trying to walk without the things that you could look at before, and it's hard. You don't have those things in front of your sight anymore, and it's hard. And maybe... The faith has just flagged a little bit. So he talks about God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Isn't that beautiful? He still had the Lord's love. That word labor, it's exactly the same as in Thessalonians. It involves pain. They were showing love. These were wonderful believers. They were laboring in love. They're encouraged in it later in the epistle. But it just said work, didn't it? It didn't say work of faith sagged a little bit. 
I'd encourage you. If there's a difficulty in your home, and this problem's just not going away. And I pulled this thistle, and I pulled that thistle, and I pulled another thistle, and I even went in my neighbor's yard, and I cut down their thistles. But something needs to grow in the garden. And here faith is a little weak. What's he do? He goes on, and he encourages, and he builds them up. And he goes to the next, and he says um, in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 11, and we desire... That beautiful. Their hearts are knit together. And he says, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. What happens when you get discouraged? Get up in the morning, you're peppy, you've got energy, and you kind of zip around. Or maybe you don't get up in the morning peppy and with energy. But when you're encouraged and you're in that peppy mode, that's when you're zipping around, right? The diligence here has to do with speed, has to do with energy. And what's he want? He wants that same speed, that energy that comes with the full assurance of, here he says, hope to the end. And then verse 12, you get discouraged. The energy's gone. You sit down on the couch and you just want to be a vegetable for a while. There's no action. And he says, verse 12, that you be not slothful, but, and he encourages them, followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And we had a gardener come into our garden, and uh, I thought he'd be pleased at the missing thistles, you know, and there were some flourishing raspberries at the back. They're kind of overgrown everything, and we haven't done anything with it yet. But they, they had some nice raspberries last year, and I thought he'd look over those raspberries, and, oh, you've got some nice plants there. And he was back at the back. We were having a nice conversation. And um, he was a farmer, actually. He's not a raspberry gardener. But he glances over at our raspberries, and he says, Oh, you... Look at the leaves over here. These, these are faded and kind of yellow. And the leaves over there, they're dark green. And I, I, what about the little raspberries growing on the one with the little yellow leaves? Now, what you need is, and he told me, you need to put something, I missed this word, and toss it in there and that'll take care of the problem. Well, we aren't quite ready. The raspberries aren't growing where they belong anyway. They need to be moved. So when they get moved, I'm... I plan, anyway, to call him and say, what was that? <laughs> Sometimes we're not quite ready in our life. The Lord has a little bit more to teach us. And when I call him, I'll have to ask him, you know, um, how much of that stuff? And I'm not sure he'll know. But, you know, you have a gardener in your life. He knows exactly what your plant needs. It may look kind of nice to you got a little fruit on it, and it's growing, it's alive, uh, there's some greenery there, but it's the wrong color green, and it's missing a little bit of this nutrient in the soil, and just add a little bit, and it'll be all right. I would suggest that these Hebrew Christians needed a lot of the nutrient. So let's turn over to chapter 10. This is so beautiful. 
We won't read chapter 10. I trust that you're familiar with it. There's a lot in here. Um, but he goes through. And in the first part of the chapter, and indeed in all the book, he's presented this beautiful person, the Lord Jesus. He's the object of faith. You know, this wonderful gardener is coming along, and he says, I see this difficulty right here. I'm going to work with it. I'm going to be patient with it. I'm going to get it to where it needs to be to bear the right kind of fruit. I'm going to set before these Hebrews the object of their faith. And I'm going to show his character in all its beauty. I'm going to show to you his work in all its perfection. And having done so, and by this point in the book, that wonderful person has sat down at the right hand three times already. A wonderful person presented in that way up to this point. And then he says, and I'll read a little bit more than what I want to chew on with you. But he says here, read from verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He doesn't say they have it yet, but what does he want? He wants them to draw near. That's what the Lord Jesus wants for each one of us. He wants fruit in each of our lives. He comes down, he finds what's missing, and he doesn't scold us for what's missing. He brings it. It's right here in this word. I don't want to be flippant. I do want you to think about this. I'm confident. I, I, I mentioned I'm not a gardener. Don't get any gardening. Don't get any sheep husbandry from what I have to offer. I do believe there are lessons to learn. I'm sure, confident of it, but if I were to go out there and look, I could find an app for my phone that I could aim at my raspberries that would at least tell me that they were raspberries. I know that. That could probably tell me what they're deficient in. If there isn't one already, there will be one. Maybe you have it on your phone. You can show me after. But that's only leading up to this point. You have the author of intelligence. The author of spiritual intelligence has given to you a book that is a living word. And it has absolutely what's needed to detect the need in your and my life. If you get nothing more from our hour together, take this. Go to him and go to his book and submit to the picture, the diagnosis, and the nutrients needed. He would love to do this. This is what he wants. He wants you and he wants me to draw near. Not to run away because our raspberry leaves are a little deficient. Not because it's actually dead over there in the corner. But because he wants you and I to draw near in full assurance. Did you notice? It was full assurance of hope back in chapter 6. Now it's full assurance of faith. He doesn't want anything missing. 
But let's keep going here. There's, there's plenty more treasures. You'll find more when you meditate, chew on it for yourself. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of, doesn't say our hope, but reading from Mr. Darby's translation, it says, let us hold fast that confession, the confession of the hope, unwavering, and it gives this, I'd say hint, but it's not a hint. <laughs> it's an absolute statement. Why? Because you can gut it out better than the person next to you. Maybe if you're a triathlete, that's what you count on. Maybe if your triathlete, your triathlon consists of standing up off your chair and walking over the counter to pick up more food and going back and sitting back down, and that's the extent of your triathlon, it's going to require a little more effort. But that's not what he says. He doesn't say, show more effort to have faith. No. He says, he is faithful that promised. You want hope? We all want hope. Don't chew on where you come short in hope. Chew on the one who's faithful. Chew on the one who's faithful. You know, we may not have lots of opportunity. You're a young mother. You have a child crying, and you feel the need to take care of it. You're a busy father, and you're, you're exhausted. You come home. You've got a lot of studying to do. You've got a lot to do. But I would suggest to you that there are scraps of time throughout your whole day for chewing. I'd suggest to you that there's places to ruminate throughout your whole day, and in fact, that you do. I know I do. Because I'm ashamed to, I won't tell you my age, when I stopped ruminating and having the same thoughts pop up during the shower in the morning about uh, catching that touchdown with one foot just barely inside the uh, edge of the line, you know, one-handed and never happened in real life. So it kept coming up in my shower, almost like a groove in the brain. By the Lord's mercies, that's not what goes through my mind. In the shower in the morning, there's a prayer list that fills that time. I would suggest to you that you've got scraps like that throughout your whole day. And that things pop up in your mind. And you're going over them. And you're going back through. And she did this to me and she said this with this tone in the, her voice. And you're ruminating. I'd encourage you. Take out, she did this and she did it this way and he did this and he did it that way and the Lord didn't give me this and the Lord didn't give me that and put in this faithful one. And if hope's missing and you ruminate on that faithful one, you'll find hope again. Because when we feed on what's from himself, when we feed on himself, we're filled with himself. It's very simple. I say it's very simple in principle. Let's look at the next one, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
Consider means fully observe. When we consider something, or at least this word, if you look it up, has the sense of fully observe. I was going to say that I wasn't a fully observant person. There are other people that are much more naturally observant than I am. But I was an expert in fully observing my younger sister. Superb at it. I could sense the mood. If I breathed just right, I could get her to get all excited. So I remember very distinctly at the dinner table, my parents' home, there was conversation going on at the other end of the table, and uh, my sister was down on the other end of the table next to me, and I breathed just right. And she, oh, would you stop that? Ah, that was satisfying. And when the others turned to look, they turned to look, and I could with all gravity, What? Do you want me to stop breathing? Well, <laughs> sometimes that's our fully observing of one another. We come to a conference like this and we're fully observing. <laughs> They're a little deficient in this. They're a little deficient in that. But what does it say in this verse? It says fully observed. Yes, it does. To provoke unto love and good works. We're here together. Oh, the next verse is the conference verse, right? I haven't done the statistic, but I would suspect that the most found verse in all conference letters is the next one. How about putting this one with it? When we're together, we're to fully observe one another, but why? So that the love of Christ will shine in my brother. If I had fully observed my sister so that the love of Christ would shine in her, it would have been a whole lot better than what I was doing. Some of you perhaps are a little more gifted in that area, a little more sensitive in that area, but all of us can learn and grow. You know, it doesn't say, if thou hast the gift of fully observing your brother. It doesn't say that. It's an exhortation to do it. We have a little time left here together. What are we fully observing about our brother? What are we fully observing about our sister? Is it to promote love? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Let's turn to the most familiar verse. 1 Corinthians 13. No doubt you can quote it. I'll read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, or love. It's that same agape love. These three. But the greatest of these is charity or love. Who is he writing to? Isn't he writing to a bunch of people living in a Greek city? Is he writing to the nicest folks 
that you could find. You know, I'd like to add a few of those Corinthian saints from chapter 1 to our assembly. It'd be great to have them around. We don't add in that sense. The Lord added to the church each day those that were saved. He's talking about people in Greek society. He's talking about people that in the next book to the Corinthians were comparing themselves among themselves. I went to look it up this morning and I had no internet access, so I just, you can double check me. I believe the following is true. I think on the BTP website you'll find in the map section a map of the city of Corinth. And if my memory holds, which it may not, double check me, I think you can look on that map and you'll see the school of so-and-so over here. And there was a Greek philosopher's name. And the school of so-and-so over there and another Greek philosopher's name. They're sprinkled around the city. All these people in rivalry with one another. What's he give them? He gives them, yes, it's right in between gift and the exercise of gift. But he's also giving to these particular people this whole chapter. Beautiful chapter on love. You know, if in our home, if in our heart, if not through our mouth, we're biting and devouring, if what's murmuring up to the top and getting chewed on and going down and murmuring up to the top and chewed on and going down again and getting digested and becoming part of our life is a bitterness toward this other person, the problem, the root of the problem, is a lack of the inflow of this love of God. Didn't want to tell. In fact, I plan to tell you two stories that are very personal. Um, I'd like to tell you one here. Uh, I'm not going to blame the brother by name, but <laughs> a brother yesterday, and when he was talking to me, didn't realize he was encouraging me to pass this on, and so I'm going to. Um, it's humbling, but I want to give you the point of the story first. You have somebody at work in your life that is unbelievably faithful. And he sees what the need is. And he's at work on it. He's got tremendous patience in working on you. The conference here last year, the sale of our home in Glendale Heights, the community where we used to live, had been set to close the day before the new home where we now live. And so the closing of one one day, the closing on the other the next day, all nice and orderly. The sale of the first home fell through about a week ahead of when it was supposed to close. And so when we came here, we were the uh, not proud possessors of two homes. And I was sharing with Brother Brian here some of the head-scratching and exercises in prayer of what what's the Lord have to teach? I will tell you that I asked the Lord literally, not figuratively, literally, hundreds of times. You have a situation in your life where you've asked the Lord literally hundreds of times about something? Well, maybe it's this. Take care of this. Problem continues. Well, maybe it's that. Take care of that. Problem continues. 
I would love to say that I learn quickly, but I don't. Perhaps you wear the same brand of shoes I do. You know, the Lord's faithful. He showed us all kinds of lessons along the way. And we're in the process of another process of selling the home this February, February this year. I was at a conference sharing with another brother. Felt like the Lord had shown me such and such a lesson. And uh, he almost didn't hear the whole thing. He said, well, I'm, I'm glad for you, but he's quite a bit older than I am. And he said, I just, <laughs> I don't even try to say I've learned what the Lord's trying to teach me anymore. I thought, well, okay. It's about a week and a half later that I think I understood another <laughs> lesson the Lord had to teach. The lesson related to this, you know, the second time the house was getting sold, and this time it went through, and at the end of March, the sale went through, and it was just so smooth. First time around, we did everything that that buyer wanted. And at one point, I was under our house working on some things in the crawl space that they had asked for, and uh, I don't know, it was the fourth or fifth time down there. And I was all alone, no one else in the house. And there's a little muddy spot in there, and I'd already ripped the shirt I had on on a, you know, those concrete forms, those little tabs they leave open. It's an unfinished gravel crawl down there, and there's still a tab there, and ripped the back of my shirt on that. Got near the hole where you crawl out and up a ladder, and I did the splits in the mud, ripped my shorts, got a little muddy. I said to the Lord, I hate this. That wasn't my tone of voice either. Are you in the middle of a circumstance? And in your heart you're crying out, I, I hate this. You have a faithful gardener. When the Lord chose to take care of the problem, twice before I spoke to this brother at a conference, once the next day, once a little bit later, four times in five weeks, sitting in the breaking of bread. And some of the time I had my Bible open to some verses, I thought, this is what the Spirit wants to have given out. And I had no liberty to give it out. Lord, I had another brother stand up and read those verses. Next week it was a hymn. Stanzas 4, 5, and 6, or whatever it is. Such and such a number. No liberty to give it out. None. Lord had a different brother stand up and give out that hymn. Four times in five weeks. I'm not going to tell you for a minute that I've learned the lesson, but I've learned that there is the lesson. And that is, the Lord loves me. The Lord's happy to bring me into fellowship with himself. And he'll use me when he chooses to use me, and not any other time. And you know, there may be a child, and you're, there, there's so much on your heart. And you would love to see a change in their life. And you've turned to the Lord hundreds of times. Walk in fellowship with them about that child. Pray for them. Walk with them. 
And if the Lord chooses to use you, he will. But he loves that child so much more than you do. Is it a different situation? Maybe he'll use you. If not, your mouth will have to be closed. Why? Because the work is his work. This is his love. If it's going to do any good, it's going to be the love of God shed abroad in our life, flowing out to others. It's going to be a work of his spirit in our heart, producing that love or bringing that love to us and letting it flow on to others. But it's going to be his work and no one else's. It's not going to come because we work really hard at doing this and really hard at doing that and really hard at doing the third thing. Maybe those things are necessary. I don't regret for a moment what we did for the buyer of that house. There are lots of lessons to learn, the one where the sale fell through. There were lots of lessons to learn. They weren't wrong things to do. They were good things to do. Do the good things he gives to you. But the work is his work. Let's turn to another one. Maybe you've been in this chapter before. Turn to Ephesians 1. Believe it or not, there's more there. We'll read the verses related to faith, hope, and love here. And it says, verse 17, read from verse 17 anyway, that the God of our... I'm sorry, I need to back up. Read from verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, revelation and knowledge of himself, of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know the, what is the hope of his calling. Brother Bob earlier today referred us to that hope earlier in the chapter, and he defined it from verse 4 down to at least verse 8, I think it was. I want to take you just back to verse 4 for a little piece that's there. It says there, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. That we should be holy. You know... God had a purpose, not before you were born, not before this nation was founded, not just before the cross, before the foundation of this world, that you will be in his presence in perfect holiness, in moral character identical to himself. Do you think he's working that in your life? Or does that come at the end? This is the hope. It's bringing that purpose of God into today. Like you take to tell you the second humbling story. It has the same point. The same point which is in my life in exactly the same way in your life. God is at work to work his purposes because. Because. He's God. I think it was about 17 years ago, 
lived in Ecuador at the time, and uh, my wife had traveled up to the United States about a, for some time together in the U.S. We we're going to spend some time there. And uh, I was teaching high school, and I had about another week of classes and meetings and all that, so I was there on my own. And something made me mad. I have long forgotten what it was, but I was angry. I was out of communion. I was walking in the flesh. School was over, and I needed food to eat, and can't remember why, but I decided to go to a small mall in the center of Quito, the city where we live. And I walked into that small mall, and at the far end of it, there was a cafeteria, a little food court. And I was going to get some food at the food court, and then I had an errand to run in town. And so I started down through that mall. And on the way down through, I was ruminating, I was chewing. Thankfully, I've forgotten on what, but I was chewing on my anger. I wasn't feeding on the faithful one, I was chewing in anger on somebody's fault, whatever it was. And I saw off on the left-hand side, there was a bookstore. And I'd been in that bookstore before, probably some months before. And inside that bookstore, I knew that on the second level, you go up the stairs on the second level, there's a big table, and they have books spread out on it, and they're the glossy coffee table kind of books. And I had been browsing there two or three months before in some very legitimate book. But across the table, I saw the cover of another book. It was very evidently full of, I'll call it what it was, I don't know whether they considered it art or what they thought it, but I'll call it what it was. It was pornography. And I turned from it. I didn't pass by it. I left the table. I walked over to wherever my wife was, and we left. This time through the mall, started to walk down the mall, and I saw the bookstore. My wife was in the United States. There wasn't anyone else around that I knew. And I said in my heart, I'm going in, and I'm going to look at that book. And I took literally one step in the direction of that store. One step. Literally lifted my left foot, and I set it down. The Lord turned off power in the mall. You know, when they turn off power in the mall, oh, the, the workers, in, in, in seconds, I just stopped trying to figure out what was going on. And in seconds, the workers were... It happens far too often in Quito, but I hadn't been in the mall when it happened, but they knew. And they came hustling out, and they uh, took that big metal barred thing, uh, like a garage door opener, and they pulled it down, and they're on vacation. <laughs> You've you got to close up the store when the power's gone. I stood looking at a literal closed door. I walked on toward the end of the mall. Before I got to the other end where the food court was, the power came back on. I only found out recently that a relative was particularly praying for me at that time. It's the only time the Lord's done that in my life where my heart was ready to commit a sin of whatever kind. He literally shut down the opportunity to carry it out. So why do I tell you the story? 
tell you a story for this reason. There is a God whose purpose for my life and yours is that you will be forever holy before him in love. Do you think he's going to wait till you get home to start the process? Absolutely no way. Let's none of us dare in our hearts say, you know, I'm saved. Someday I'm going to be in heaven. Between then and now is my time. Absolutely no way. There's a God who wants you holy before him in love. He's active in your life. He may not have lifted the curtain and let you see it very often. But he's absolutely there at work, doing that work, so that you will fully flourish before him. So much more. Our time's gone. My point was not to get through the list. My point was this. You have scraps of time in your life. I know they're there. They may not be big, but you have scraps of time. In those scraps of time, things go through your mind. My time's gone. I'll just finish quickly with this. My grandfather loved to tell a story back in his day of a man that was out at the plow. The Lord was working on him, working on him, working on him. He was out at the plow. He left his animal in the field. He left his plow in the field. He walked into his house and he told his wife that he'd repented and he was going to turn around. If you're a farmer and you're at your plow, isn't there other stuff that can go through your mind? You could stick something in your ear. Turn it on, and all of us have that opportunity. Maybe it was easier before. It didn't require an act of the will to turn off something else so that thoughts could go through the mind about the faithful one, not about the failing of the brother, but about the faithful one who wants you in his presence forever, holy and without blame and love. Thank him. Dear Lord Jesus, we just do ask that each of us, wherever we need it, Lord, wherever we're deficient, wherever we're not flourishing, Lord, we do want Thee to come to show it to us. Lord, give us the grace to receive it and to walk by Thy side and look, Lord Jesus, just like Thee. We ask it. In Thy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.